Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Evangelos Lianos, co-founder of STO Maker, where he is responsible for regulatory issues and business development. STO Maker is a set of tools for the preparation and issuance of security token offerings provided in the form of software as a service. The aim is to reduce drastically the time and cost of a security token offering and so make them affordable for relatively modest capital raisings. Evangelos, thanks for joining us. Hi, Dominic, and it's my pleasure being with you. Could we start with you, perhaps? What, what was it in your background and your experience that uh, brought you to or introduced you to the security token markets? From, the, from studies, um, I studied uh, IT in, in Germany many years ago. So informatics is actually my background. Um, and then during the last um, two decades, I worked a lot in management consulting and a digitalization of projects, um, advising um, medium-sized companies and also large um, companies on fundraising, financial restructuring, and so on and so forth. Whereas um, almost uh, 10 years ago, I met my co-founder, Jürgen Wittkop, and uh, he was in the same area. So, and then we ended up visiting together a blockchain uh, conference with um, not more than uh, 25 people. Uh, I don't know if it was a conference or it was a closed user group. And uh, there the discussion was about digital finance and how this could help um, small, medium-sized and larger companies, especially in the private market. And um, from there on, then uh, we get triggered to develop a Sawmaker. Now, I read somewhere in uh, one of your presentations, perhaps on your website, that you'd written that STOs are the modern digital form of the archaic uh, IPO. But is that all they are. Do you do you not also see STOs as something that is radically new and different, not just a, an automated or updated IPO, but actually something completely different and completely new? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, let's see it from, from two sides. The base is a modern, automated, digitalized IPO with a wider range of for issuers and a wider range of investors. Okay, so this is one thing. On the other thing is it is really something different because the underlying technology is not anymore paper. The underlying technology is super digital, allow me to call it, which is based on blockchain. So sometimes we are comparing it saying um, uh, mail and email system. Yeah, the purpose is the same, to transmit an, a message, or in our case, to do fundraising on the on, on the core, but the technologies and the, everything around is 90% different. Now, we're all interested in the question of why security token offerings are, are not taking off. The advantages seem very plain, both for issuers and for investors. Yet today we have more token exchanges than we have token issues, I think, almost. I haven't checked that, but I suspect that's right. Why is this market so slow to develop? First of all, we need to define the word slow. So the real way of tokenization and STOs is maybe four, five, six years old, not more. So everything takes, takes time. I mean, it's an evolution. 
And within the evolution, there are a couple of factors which are very important. One, one is, the, of course, the technology. The other one is that um, people are getting educated. So what we did in, in respect to blockchain and STO, all of us, we focused very much on, on the technology and we missed a little bit the education. And when I say education, it's not doing trainings and webinars and so on only, but also explain to the people and to the corporations and the companies, what are the benefits of STOs and fundraising over tokenization and over blockchain? So, but this will, uh, this is coming slowly, slowly. We see this also in the latest conference I was, there were more than 500 people than the 25 who were in, in a couple of years ago. So it's not slow. Um, it's simply taking, uh, time that people understand all this. We're talking about a totally new technology around it, not only in, in terms of hardware, but also in terms of financial education. At the risk of, of asking you the same question in a slightly different form, it is hard to work out what's going on in the STA market. The data is very patchy, often out of date. It's in lots of different places. There isn't like a single source you can go to and find out what's what's going on. But as far as I can tell, a lot of the STAs that have been launched do struggle to reach their funding targets. Uh, some of them uh, obviously fail altogether. What this is the risk of asking the same question. What, what do you think? is causing that that high rate of, of underfunding and that relatively high rate of failure that I've detected. Allow me to answer you the other way around. Why the ones which succeeded, and there are many whose STOs who succeeded, why they succeeded? Number one, because they were prep, properly uh, prepared in terms of information, in terms of uh, um, application to the regulators, in terms of providing the, the proper QA answers to the questions of the investors or the stakeholders and so on and so forth. So we think that the ones who failed, they failed because they were not properly prepared. And when I say only preparation, it's also you need to market it. If you have a product that you want to sell, which is a security token offering, it's an offering. So you need to offer it to some people. So if you simply build up a website with your offering, even if your, your business is super good, so if you don't have anyone to sell it or you don't know how to promote it, then it will never be successful. Mm -hmm. So that's the way why the actual ones did not succeed it. Now, at Future of Finance, we've, we've run a number of, of webinars and, and even had um, two events, I think, physical events about, about security tokenization. We've run surveys. There's one issue which comes up again and again and again, which is that this, uh, what's preventing us, and I'm talking here of issuers and investors, what prevents us getting involved here is lack of, of regulatory and, and legal certainty. Now, personally, I always found that rather counterintuitive because the security laws are out there. They clearly apply in the major jurisdictions to security token offerings. Uh, you don't actually need a whole set of new laws and rules to be passed to get one of these things done. So why are people saying that? Are they, are they confused? Uh, are they ignorant? Uh, or is there actually a genuine problem here in terms of legal and regulatory uncertainty? We have to see this from um, two standpoints. Number one, for the regulators, this is something totally new. So what is new there? New is the technology. Until today, he was using paper 
to print a shirt and he had it in front of him. And then he was putting it in a, in a, in a high super security safe. Allow me a little bit to, 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 to paint it out. So in a super security safe, and then there was place there. And at any moment you could go there and he can check that the shirt is there, the certificate. So today he has to use a technology called blockchain, which is based on, on, on different nodes somewhere on that planet. So it is also for him a problem to understand the technology, okay? So he has his own problem. So it's not the regulation there, it's more the technology and how he can apply fast what he, his laws and his regulations into the technology. This is the one side. On the other side, you have an issuer. An issuer today who wants to raise a couple of millions of dollars or euros, he doesn't have the means to go to a sophisticated advisor and pay him another million to help him. So he needs to go through all that regulation and processes somewhere alone or a very with a very low budget. So, and he's focusing more on his business rather than on laws and regulations. So from one side, you have the regulator who doesn't understand the technology or not yet understands the technology. And from the other side, you have the issuer who doesn't understand the regulations. So, and the trick, and this is what we are trying to do, is to bring these two sides together. Now, if I've understood you correctly, and you, you've mentioned paper, uh, ancient practices and procedures, both on the part of the regulators and on the part of the various intermediaries involved in, in capital raising, exercise. And that obviously adds to the cost. A large part of your value proposition is that those, those manual STO costs, which I think you put at 5 to 10% of the funds raised, which is a lot if you're raising, as you say, $2 million. And they're not that different from doing an old-fashioned IPO. That you put those at 6 13%. Now, your proposition is you can cut those those STO costs by 90% to an average of maybe $100,000, which is acceptable, still quite a large chunk of $2 million, but acceptable, much more acceptable than, than, uh, than, than 10% of, of, of the cost. Now, how do you do that without disintermediating all those people that get lost in that 6 to 13%? I'm talking of the brokers, the placement agents, the lawyers, the PR marketing advisors, the accountants, even the custodian banks and the exchanges as well. Now, how do you get that down to $100,000 without disintermediating all those people and all those organizations that are making a very good living out of doing old-fashioned <laughs> IPOs. Actually, we are not cutting them totally out. You, you cannot, at, at based on today's regulations and laws, unfortunately, we cannot cut them out totally. So, but what we can do is we can cut them out up to 90%. So instead, take the example of a lawyer. A lawyer will sit with you together as an issuer and he will discuss with you what is your business, how you structure your business, why you're doing this, why you're doing that. He needs to prepare some, some papers. Then he goes back, he prepares again. So it takes 10 days for him initially to understand the business and how the business is running. And then he simply takes out a template and he fills up your white paper or whatever. So what we, what we are trying to do is all that work in the beginning, which is manually, and which is actually more a communication between two parties to bring it down to, and to automate it. So whereas our system will do all that questions and you are an issuer and have to answer, then you have the summary of that business. And then this is the summary that you provide to the lawyer and he sits down for a couple of hours, reads and gets all the information really concentrated and comp comprehended 
so that he can continue the work. Also, other things. It's not only the lawyers. As you said, the brokers. Broker is the same, the same thing, uh, or the placement agents. So it's 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 shifting information from an issuer to all the service providers. Can you automate this? Can you digitalize this? Can you structure it? This is the whole trick. Whereas obeying by laws and regulations. So in some ways, it's a classic uh, blockchain story in which you're gathering the information once and then sharing exactly. it needs to see it and thereby they don't need to continually repeat exactly at each level the same thing uh, one of the things that interested me on this point uh, in in your in your presentation was that sta maker incorporates this marketplace uh, of advisors and service providers to to stos um, which indicates that in effect people will be pitching to do business for for, for issuers and issuers can then choose from this ecosystem, this marketplace of different providers of legal services or broking services or custody services, whatever it is. So, uh, you know, I read from that that disintermediation is not at the heart of what you're trying to do. You're actually just trying to make it more efficient. That sounds like a very wise, to me, a very wise political strategy. But does it in the long run, does it make good economic sense as well? How are those companies pitching to do work for issuers uh, going to buy into this, do this for ninety percent less than you than you used to do it. Um, the marketplace function really as as a marketplace where you have all the service providers. Um, take the, again, we, let's take the example of of a lawyer, of a broker, of a media agency. So you have let's say 10, 15 media agencies from one side, and then you have the issuer. So you need to, first of all, as an issue, you don't know all the media agencies which are floating around in the world. Maybe there are 10, 20, 30, 50, 100. So if you go to a mediator, if you go to an advisor or a broker, he works with one or two of these media companies together. So you are forced to use one of these two media companies. So you don't have the power of decision or selection of, of, of your service provider. So in the marketplace, what we tell you, okay, look, these are the 10, 15, 20 media companies that in your case, you can use out of the 100. So you please communicate with them. How you communicate with them? You don't send them an email. Oh, I want to do an STO. You send them an email with specific information. What is your business? How your business works? What you want to do from where your investor is coming? Everything. So, and then he replies back. It's like an RFP and an uh, so RFP, RFQ. And then there is immediately the reply to the RFP, RFQ. So, and with that, first of all, you're reducing the cost. You tell them, you know what? You don't need, you have all the information, so nothing else needs to be prepared. Now, um, this brings, of course, a lot of competition. And by that competition, prices also are going down. So, yes, there is the, the gain that we have as an issuer is that you let not only two compete, so that it's not a monopoly or a duopoly, but you have many of your service providers who can pitch to get your project. And if your project is interesting enough for them, then of course there will be much more interest of, from them to get to the project. But if you're running a competitive RFP marketplace of the type you have just described, won't the firms participating in that RFP marketplace be concerned that issuers will pump them for information you know, we'll issue an RFP to all of them, they get 15 responses in, from which they learn a great deal about how to do things and about what it will cost them to do that. Won't the service providers be reluctant to share that information? What's in it for them to, to share everything that they know and advertise their, their prices? They're not concerned that they'll get all the information from it, then they'll go and use somebody else. 
there are, uh, first of all, in the service provision segment, um, consultancy segment, if you wanna, if you wanna name it, um, you need to talk to your client. You need to explain to him what are you doing. So actually, you're not selling a product. You're convincing him that the product or this or the service that you are selling is the best in the world. So it's not comparing an apple with an apple. It's comparing the, the, the taste of that apple with the taste of that apple. So here, of course, service providers need to invest and they need maybe to lose a day or two convincing the, the issuer that they are the best ones. Now, on the other side, that the issuer can exaggerate that and can talk with 10 service providers and then choose one, that's what it's called market. Mm -hmm. right, so, the, so the users of, of the STO maker marketplace choose the, uh, the, the service providers whose who's apple taste they, they prefer. I like that metaphor. Uh, then they, they get to use these various templates you have created to, to model the actual issue itself, to model the legal documents, to, to model the regulatory documents, and indeed, finally, uh, actually create uh, the tokens themselves. This question may be premature, but are you finding issuers like some of those templates more than, than others? Are some more popular than others? Do they prefer to do some things themselves and then use your templates for other functions? Or is it a, a kind of they like the whole process? To do the whole process with you exactly the magic word is process so it's not uh, when you start uh, and do an sto and you choose your regulatory framework and what for documents you need to produce you cannot say i like that document or i don't like that document so we, we say to the to the issuer look if you go to that country and you want to have that type of investors then you need to produce this document this document this document and for this document these are the templates that you may start to use us to, to, to work on them as a draft and then give them forward to your lawyer or to your advisors. Now, of course, there are services that um, he, he can choose not to do it through our platform. Maybe he uses a very super sophisticated um, uh, website development um, design company to do his landing page. So he doesn't need to use our integrated tool. Uh, but in terms of templates, and documents, he has to go through the process. He cannot say, I, I, what he can do, he can add more documents, but he cannot go lower than what the law and the regulations are, are, uh, are enforcing. Just to be clear on that point, are there, are there any functions in an IPO or, or now STO that you don't support? Um, we support all the functions either directly or through third-party service providers. So when you are in the process from A to Z, you get a full solution. So there is nothing missing in between. If, if somewhere you are struggling because you don't know how to proceed, because you don't have the information or you don't know how to prepare that information, then you are requested to go to a service provider which you can find in the marketplace or you have another advisor, your own advisor, or you have to do it with your own team and so on and so forth. So we are covering from A to Z. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sorry to go back to this intermediation, disintermediation question, but is the basic proposition here that if you make the STO issuance process more efficient, there will be more activity. And if there's more activity, there'll be more work for those intermediaries to do. In short, that there'll be trading price for, for volume. Is that part of your proposition? And if it is, uh, what's the reaction of intermediaries? They say, yeah, we get that. Uh, will trade price for volume. 
Today, if um, a broker or a lawyer, a service provider handles an APO, IPO, then um, it's a hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollar project. Mm-hmm. So, an STO in our in our experience in Europe will be somewhere between four and fifteen million euros, and in the US it will be somewhere between ten and thirty, forty million dollars. So, it's less. It's less, if you want less, the, the prices are lower. So to get, the lawyer to get his fee, he needs to have much more projects. Yes, and they're happy to do that. Why? Because until yesterday, all the work, the manual work and the final work had to be done by a lawyer, by an experienced lawyer. Today, by using our platform, a service provider has the opportunity also to utilize, let's say, a paralegal team to do all the preparation, to utilize a less experienced consultant or a junior consultant to prepare all this. However, the partner needs to sign off this documentation. So it's simply the simplification of the process opens up also to new consultants uh, lawyers who do not work today on, on STOs or on IPOs to get into that business. And by this, making, again, making everything cheaper, and I'm sorry that I'm using the word cheaper, but that, that, that's the way it should be, cheaper, cost-efficient, then uh, more STOs will come. And by this, volume is the game. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I'm wondering here whether you think that will always be the case, that if you make this uh, process more efficient, these intermediaries can always survive. In other words, the, the status quo will be preserved, but it will just be operating at a much lower cost to the, to the issuers and, and ultimately to the investors as well. Um, do, you think, do you think that will always be the case in, in a fully formed, fully mature, STO market, or will some of these functions start to drop away or be done by robots or just disappear altogether? That will be the case. Some of these functions will disappear or will be done by robots. Um, Allow me to give you an example with a regulation. Mm -hmm. Today, to get an STO approved might take time. Why? Because we need to send to the regulator everything in a paper or let's say in a digital form where he might maybe also needs to print it out and then somebody needs to read. Allow me to give you here a very bad example. There is a regulator in, in Europe who is requesting to send the application by fax. We, we don't even have faxes in our company. So, but he wants to have it by fax. Now, what I'm trying here to say is that over time, all these service providers will understand that um, they they have to use APIs where the information will come structured to them, to them, and then either manually a human being will read and will accept some things, or like in a multi a multi choice um, questionnaire, I will answer yes, no, yes, no, and then by this a decision is made to allow that STO to be launched, to be public offered or not. Now you will tell me, yeah, but if if the information inside there is not correct and it is wrong, then today somebody will ask. Tomorrow when everything is automated, who will ask? The 
insurance of that or responsibility of that will then automatically will be given either to the issuer so he will be responsible for the correct answer or not the correct answer uh, automation will be key same with lawyers same with brokers same with uh, media agencies i mean today um if i want to make an offering public i can use google i can use facebook i can use all that uh, uh, all that tools by my own I don't need uh, to hire a dedicated media agency if I don't want or if I don't have the budget. Okay, but this is not so much a DIY story. It actually, as a listening to you, as a, it's a productivity story. You get rid of those faxes, those manual processes, the correction of those manual errors. You get more issuers. You get more issues. That's good, not just for the for the issuers, but for the intermediaries as well. And of course, I guess for the for the investors. Now, talking of investors, we've, we've talked about them a lot, about issuers a lot uh, so far. But what are investors going to get out of this out of this platform? And and how does the platform help the issuers to find those investors? The investor, sorry, the issuer, uh, the moment he has this offering ready, uh, then he needs to promote it. So, Stonemaker helps to promote that actually. Again, either through the marketplace or through some other tools we have, you can either place your offering, as I said before, Google, Facebook, and, and other um, dedicated ST, um, um, token offering um, uh, portals. On the other side, you have the investor who wants to know about that. So actually, the investor, he can go to our platform and he will see a listing of all these offerings, and then he can directly communicate with the investor. On the other hand, additionally, and at the later stage, what we are aiming to do is to build a community or communities between investors and issuers. So actually, before many years ago, we were calling all these blocks or portals and so on. Today, we're calling it communities. So it's very important when you do that offering to have a community from the both sides, so issuer and investor. We, we strongly believe on that community uh, marketing or community communication or that type of things. So issuers will find, sorry, investors will find the issuers within that community and that by simply accessing um, Stormaker. Mm -hmm. And the investors get to meet issuers they wouldn't otherwise meet. That's, that's the primary benefit for them. Exactly. Okay. Uh, listening to you, I, I, it's almost like um, STO Maker is a is a project management platform. I'm an issuer. I want to raise some some capital. Here are a bunch of tools that enable me to manage that project. You know, complete with a with a Gantt chart from where I am now to actually getting the money in the bank, and then I can calculate uh, um, when I'll earn my investment back. Is that a reasonable description of STO Maker? Is it a, is it a project management platform, or am I off uh, off piste in suggesting that? It is uh, almost 10% of what Stonemaker is. Uh -huh. So it's one of the services. Of course, to have when you launch a project, any project you do, whatever you do in your life, actually, it's a project management thing. So you need to be aware of time, how you're gaining or losing time. You need to be aware about budget and costs. You need to be aware of who are the team members and what for actions they are doing. You need to be aware what are the third parties that you're integrated and what for tasks you gave to these other parties or not. 
And also you need to be able to communicate with these other parties and to have a protocol of the communication so that in case something happened or a dispute is there, that you know exactly who said what and when and so on and so forth and who promised what. And then you have also to have, allow me to call it as an archive of all the information, a data room of all the information on which either you as an issuer, your team, your service provider, uh, or other stakeholders like investors or regulators have access. So, and Stonemaker is also providing all that uh, project management tool, as you named it. Could we talk a little bit about the size and uh, of issues you're aiming to support here? You've, you've talked of two million rather than than two billion, for example. Now we we've heard a lot from from firms active in the tokenization markets, that the real opportunity they see is in the private markets. Because the private markets are growing, the public markets are shrinking, there are actually less IPOs, partly presumably because of the enormous cost of them, uh, partly because there's a lot of private capital out there. One of the benefits of this is going to be democratizing access to those private investment strategies as well. So are those secular trends which we see, shrinking IPOs, rising involvement of, of private equity, private debt, uh, privately managed assets. Are those good for your business? In other words, are those the, the sectors in which you're aiming your services at is smaller issuers, uh, issuers are looking to uh, democratize or, or seek new types of perhaps less institutional investors? Oh. Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling here, but I'm wondering what type of business you're, you're aiming at and whether the switch from public to private is good for your business. Certainly it is. I mean, today's stomacher can serve any public um, any any public uh, offering in, in that sense. On the other side, on the private business... So you could do two billion if you wanted to. Yes. They, 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 uh, um, it, it's a question of regulation and the information that the regulation uh, enforces you to provide to investors or to the regulatory bodies and so on and so forth. So you can actually do any offering on the platform. Our platform in principle doesn't care if it's a 2 million or a 2 billion um, offering. What's under it or what needs to be done is what the platform cares about and communicates to you and uh, supports you. So the, 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 you are absolutely right. The, the private markets are increasing and increasing. Now, are, are, is, is money going from public to private? Or is the whole thing increasing more and more? This is something that we can discuss for hours. But now let's focus on the private markets. The private market today is, in a way, in a simple, in simple words, is a one-to-one -one business. So there is an issuer and there is an investor. Okay, even though there are many investors, so it's a one-to-one -one business. However, the interaction of them and the information flow between the one and the other, and especially from the issuer to the investor needs to be very precisely an investor we need to understand even if the guy invests hundred dollars or thousand dollars he wants to have a full information about your business he wants to know what are the risks he wants to know what is behind that what is the asset how the business works he wants to educate himself because he wants to know the information he wants to show off when he talks to other uh, friends and so on and so forth so even though it's a very simple communication, the information flow might even be more important and more stricter than in the, in, in the public market. 
Additional to that, the regulators are overviewing the private markets or will overview the private markets much more stricter, we believe, than they are today. They're overviewing the public markets. Why? Because the regulator exists to protect the investor. And when we talk about investor, he aims to the small investor, to the retail investor, which is all about in, 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 the, in the private market. Whereas in the public, you have more institutionals, institutional investors. And what the regulator says, come on, you are a professional. It's your duty and your business really to drill down on that business of the issuer and to make sure that he's not screwing you. So professional to professional. But on here we have an issuer, allow me to call it professional, versus and retail investor who maybe doesn't know all the things, but at least you must give him all the information and even more. Well, as you say, the uh, the regulators are there to protect investors. You have to go to the places and go in the ways that the regulator forces you to, to go. And you referred to being active in, in multiple jurisdictions. Does this mean that you have actually created templates for uh, issuers to use in, in multiple jurisdictions. If you have, that sounds like an awful lot of uh, very expensive work to, to bring together that, that legal, that regulatory knowledge, and presumably also getting lawyers to, to check that you've understood it correctly and sign, sign the templates off. I mean, how big an investment has that been if that's what you've been doing? Actually, each country has its own regulations. In, the, um, in, in, in Europe, as an example, um, you have the ESMA, which is the, 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 let's call it the head of all the regula regula regulators. And then each country has a specific um, approach on the regulation or, or fine tunes the regulation. And then they have the different templates. A German template is different than, than, than a, mm. a, a, a template. Besides the language, the, the structure is different. So yes, we 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 have different templates for different regulations uh, per country and per what exactly on what we call the regulatory framework in which your offering will then um, sitting into. Uh, from our side, yeah, that, that's a, that's a huge investment in time and in in in, in the services that we are getting from external lawyers and regulatory advisors and also from the team inside. But uh, we are seeing it uh, that way. I mean, we are the guys who will do the investment to pro provide all these templates, to provide all that structure and to provide all that intelligence behind so that smaller issuers, which do not want to spend half a million to go on that way, they can spend much, 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 much less to utilize all this what we provided. It's again here. One entity is doing the work for thousands of users. But to be clear, you've got law firms in each jurisdiction where you're active signing off on your template saying, yes, this is the state of the law and regulation in this jurisdiction. Yes. yes. Uh -huh. And their reward, hopefully, is to get work when these issues start occurring, right? Exactly. So that, that's a trick. I mean, they're helping us now because they... First of all, they're also gaining experience. And number two, then what they what they see is that in, in, in the near future, they will get all that issuers 
by saying that I'm the guy who has the experience now to, to uh, prepare templates and to review templates and to sign off on templates uh, and to applications that um, you as an issuer need in my country. Now, there are probably 200 jurisdictions uh, on the planet Earth. How many jurisdictions are you focusing on? Which ones are the most important from your point of view to focus on at the outset? Uh, you need to see which ones are the most developed man in, in, in um, also in IPO regulations, but also in, in tokenization and, and blockchain regulations. So, or which markets are the largest ones? So, of course, it's Europe. So, everything what goes under ESMA or the EEA, then um, you have UK, um, then um, you have US, of course, it's very important with different regulations there, especially the Reg A. Uh, and then you have um, other um, countries or cities like uh, UAE, UAE, United Arab Emirates, where there you have Abu Dhabi and Dubai. And then uh, don't forget uh, Singapore, which is also very much developed than that. Mm -hmm. But we see also other smaller countries coming very fast to that. Why? Because smaller countries, they couldn't launch IPOs because the cost of launching an IPO is very high. So, and they don't have really big companies to do IPOs, but they have a huge mass of mid-sized companies which could afford to spend that little bit of money and do STOs and do fundraising there and to avoid intermediaries or to avoid to get expensive loans from banks. Yeah, you didn't mention, I think, Switzerland, but which prompts a thought in my mind. There are these jurisdictions of which Switzerland is one, uh, Liechtenstein, uh, Luxembourg, Gibraltar, others, where they have actually rewritten the law to be more accommodating to, to token issues. Have those rewritten laws, those jurisdictions I've just mentioned, have, have what they've been doing been helpful to what you're trying to do? I have a friend of mine who says that um, decades ago, the Japanese were using copy paste in proof and with that they succeeded. <laughs> so that copy paste, Liechtenstein, Switzerland, Luxembourg, uh, the, the Gibraltar and some other countries that you mentioned, uh, there are really a couple of years ahead with, with the blockchain and tokenizations. So then you have all the other guys who are exactly doing that. They're, they look what they did and how this is evolving and how this is accepted by the, by the public and the market. And then they simply take that and they are ad adjusting it to their own country or to their own laws and regulations. And you can be sure that at the moment there are so many drafts out there for um, security token offerings that are waiting to be um, reviewed by authorities and so on, and then launched that um, really it's, it's a lot. So yes, Liechtenstein and co are helping a lot to improve all this, um, all, all these regulations and the laws for the bigger countries. And yes, we do see a lot of copy-paste going on, uh, certainly on regulations, but uh, also on, on laws. But one thing that is constant is that these regulations, and to a lesser extent, the laws do change from time to time. So how is STO maker going to keep up with that constant change in the jurisdictions where you're active? Uh, there are two ways. First of all, we're using our internal team. 
so which is following up all the regulations in the jurisdictions that are of our interest. Uh, and then um, in, in, in a lot of cases, you can also follow up that changes on the website of the regulators, which were also constantly um, have access to them. And then we see what have they changed and so on. You, you get the alarms and everything. And number two, which is all very crucial, is you're working with local lawyers. So uh, because sometimes or very often from the local lawyers, you don't get only the text of the law, but you get, which is very important, the interpretation of that law. So it's not only what you read, but how this is interpreted in the human brain of the regulator or the issuers or the investors. So um, this is the way we're handling. Uh, at the moment, there are a lot uh, of changes going on and I'm sure in the next five to 10 years, there will be also much more changes in respect to tokenization going on in different countries. And this is something that we have to follow up and this is where we do our investment. You mentioned a few minutes ago when we were talking about intermediaries, that some of those functions would, would eventually be taken over by, by artificially intelligent uh, robots. Are you able to use artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning in your platform already? And if so, which areas are you making use of it? Small remark. I'm always afraid about the words artificial intelligence and, and the machine learning. This is something very heavy. So what we are doing is we have intelligent decision tables, we call them. So imagine many years, it's like an if-then-else process. So if I get this information, then I need to do this. If I get that information, I need to do this. If I combine that information with that information or that ticker with that ticker, then we need to use that template or we need to use that template. So if you want to call that... Uh, intelligent decision tables or artificial intelligence and machine learning, I'm okay with that. So yes, we have intelligence in the system and we're always updating that. In which areas we are using that, it's mainly on the regulation part and, and the, on the templating part. So the templates, imagine it's not only a, a form where you fill up something, but a template consists of different modules which the system is choosing depending on your asset, depending on your business, depending on your investors, depending on all that. So it's a modular thing that the system needs really to uh, put together so that you have the final template, which is intelligence, intelligently made through a decision, through many decision tables. Now, one word we all use a lot in the area of tokenization is, is education. I think you used it uh, earlier in this in this conversation. Uh, and clearly you are investing in, in education. Do you see that as a business in its own right? Uh, or is it just a part of your, a necessary part of your sales strategy? When we started uh, Stowmaker, one of the, of the things that we um, agreed from the very first days is that each step in that process needs to have either an audio explanation or a video explanation or a text explanation. Because the issues which are coming in that platform might be not fully aware how an STO process works, how uh, rules and regulations are working, and what is the human explanation of that, uh, of that law. So we are considering education as core of what we are doing. 
as I said, number one, we're having that in the platform inside where you don't have to use an, a, to, to launch an STO. You enter the platform and you can play around. You can do a, a virtual STO or, or, or a fake STO if you want. Number one. And number two, we also have produced hours and hours of educational material where somebody can subscribe and he can start to learn what is an STO, what is a blockchain, what is blockchain, how all this works. Education is for us, uh, Dominic, um, one of the core things. And uh, we are investing a lot on that uh, time and, and, and resources mm -hmm. to get all that explanation. Because this also will avoid the discussion, as an example, between an issuer and a service provider. And the left side does not understand what the right side is saying. So we need to, we, our aim is to bring them on the same level of understanding. Well, I should think you are investing a lot of uh, time and money in that. How on earth do you keep those educational materials up to date when things are changing all the time? Um, also here we have, uh, we have a team member who is only looking into education. So um, putting new courses, um, explaining uh, um, the, the, the if a new regulation is coming out or the regulation is changing and all this then changing that pieces and parts either within the platform or then the external education platform that we have in an external seminar that we have webinar, uh, he's changing the the text there and the and, and the presentations and everything. Mm -hmm. Now, one of your responsibilities is business development, sales. Do you sell this service directly to issuers, or I suppose to investors as well, but primarily issuers, or do you sell it indirectly? I'm not quite sure what I mean by that, but do you have to go to find issuers yourself or do you find them through third parties? It's it's uh, both. Mm -hmm. So actually we're working with, with, uh, with the following parties together. Number one, we are working together with uh, directly with issuers. So they are coming then to the platform, then they are preparing um, their, their um, STO. And if there is anything, they can uh, partially consult us or they, they, they use an advisor or... Um, um, a mission companion, as we call them, service providers from the marketplace. On the other side, then you have um, the service providers, and sometimes the the issuers are going to the service providers and they say, "Oh, I need to, I want to launch this, and so on and so forth." And then the service provider tells to the issuer, "Okay, you know what? There is Stowmaker. Go educate yourself in Stowmaker. Play a little bit around, and when you are ready, then come back to us." So, and by that. The, the, the triangle between stonemaker, the issuer, and the service provider is there, and then we can continue really until he's educated or is ready to do everything. Mm -hmm. uh, another example are exchanges. We're getting a lot of uh, requests from exchanges who want to work with us together because an exchange is on the end of the chain. It's on the end of the process. It's when you are ready with everything, then uh, then uh, then uh, then you launch your, uh, your your token offering on the exchange, but. Fortunately or unfortunately, the issuer today goes to the end of the chain. He goes to the exchange because he thinks, oh, if, if my token is placed on the exchange, this is the guy who can help me to launch. But an exchange is not an, an, a preparatory service provider, neither. It's it's illegal. These guys, and because that's their business, they will help you only when everything is ready. So before, they will simply send you to lawyers, to brokers, to stonemaker, and to all this other. So yes, it's a direct and an indirect um, uh, approach to the users of Stormaker. 
And does it make sense for those indirect parties you're working with, those exchanges, those lawyers, those brokers, et cetera, does it make sense for them to white label uh, the STA maker platform? And are you open to that possibility? At that stage, we're not uh, we're not uh, having the, the possibility for someone to white label store maker. Uh, today, we are um, uh, what we can do is we have uh, we call it a voucher system uh, where um, and, and, and exchange, as an example, um, can uh, have that vouchers and then send the issuers, the potential issuers, the future issuers to our platform. And by this, then the issuer gets a discount and he can play around in, in the platform, um, educate himself, um, prepare his ST, uh, his offering and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But um, to be fair also to the, uh, to the affiliate at that stage, the exchange is an affiliate, um, then the, the issuer can actually work only with that one exchange as long as he's using that uh, voucher entry. So it's it's actually the same thing uh, as white labeling without having the brand name of the lawyer or the exchange or the media company on that. Mm-hmm. So we have we have different ways to work with our affiliates. Depends what exactly for our services he's providing. We can offer him a solution that fits to his uh, clientele. Right. So, so the natural buyers of those vouchers might be issuers, but there might also be people who offer you access to, to issuers like the exchanges, like the law firms, like the banks and the brokers. Yes, very correct. Exactly. And, and what does this mean for your for your commercial model? Does it mean you're always getting paid one off fees for selling a voucher or are people also paying you subscription fees for a certain number of vouchers or a transaction fee when the deal actually works more than how are you getting paid, basically? <laughs> Which is very important. <laughs> um, uh, we are based on a, on a subscription model. So an issuer, uh, he buys a subscription, either it's a, it's, a, it's a monthly, yearly subscription or it's a project-based subscription. Then you have the service provider. He, can, he buys a, a service provider subscription. Um, and also he gets access to the marketplace and he can list himself to the marketplace on, on as a priority or, 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 or simply get listed on, on, on the marketplace. But then what we are also doing, uh, Dominique, which is for us very important, there are two things. Number one, uh, our subscription is very low. So if you are successful with your STO, then we get part of your tokens that you're issuing. So it's, it's, it's a win-win. You win, we win. You don't win, we don't win much. So actually we don't even cover our costs. So that's the one thing. Then they have another, we have also another thing is that you can apply and discuss with us that we, we fund parts of your security token offering preparation costs. So we can fund it. So if you think that, that you have a very successful project, then we'll tell you, okay, we are ready also to fund part of it. Then uh, your cost for preparation will, will be very, uh, very low. So it's actually the other way around. We're not only making money from subscription and by participating in your in your and your tokenization project, it's also the other way around where we could finance even your tokenization project if it's something that we decide that it is worth to finance. I've been thinking, listening to you throughout this conversation, you're creating this ecosystem of issuers, investors, intermediaries, you've described very well. 
reciprocal exchanges of value that can take place between those uh, various members of, of the ecosystem. So I was very interested to see that you have a kind of long-term plan here to, to turn STO Maker into a, into a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, a model where obviously the, the owners, uh, the users, the customers, the investors can all be all, all of those things at once, if you like, and, and all benefit from the value that the platform creates. Why don't you want to do that right at the outset? Why is that a future plan rather than a present plan? Mm-hmm. You use two very important words in your question, ecosystem and DAO. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, these are very similar things or, or interrelated things, ecosystem and DAO. But this to work, first of all, the core within that DAO and ecosystem needs to be developed. So actually what we want this, first of all, to be developed, to be accepted by the market, and then give it over to a DAO and say, okay, from now on, issuer, service provider, community, all of us, let's really make a big thing out of it, big in the sense of very easy to be used by the issuers and the service providers, because we are also, Jürgen and myself, my co-founder, we are convinced about this democratizing the financial system. We need to go away, a way that the financial system is controlled by couple or many um, super big entities, whatever these are, if these are governments or banks or, or institutions and so on. So this democratization needs to take place uh, by all of us. Now, as I said before, the, the, the important for us is we need to have this tool ready and then to give it to, to, to the DAO to work with that. And we are not there yet. I would never give something to the community if we are not there with, with, with the tool. We need a couple of years of that, maybe one or two years. And then uh, what, else, what we are doing at the moment is we're getting all this input from what we call the community to structure and to design in a way that it is later also useful by, by the DAO. Now, in terms of, of, of what you're doing in templating and making efficient this whole process, are you unique or do you see competitors out there that you have to contend with looking to do the same thing as you are? Um, today you have the services that we are, uh, the, the process, equals services is very fragmented. So you have, and it's very technology driven. So you have somebody who's doing KYC ML, you have somebody who's doing a cup table, you have somebody, you have the lawyer who is drafting the documents, you have um, the, the tax advisor who is doing this. So you have all these guys who actually do not work together if on top there is no project manager. Okay, and today, you can get this project manager, which will do all the process manually. And here comes Stormaker into the game. Stormaker actually is automating all this. So our aim is the automation and name it the umbrella, to be the umbrella of all these fragmented processes, which are partially, partially are done either by Stormaker itself or by third parties. So a direct competitor, no, we don't have a direct competitor. So we have only in each segment a competitor, and it's very difficult for somebody to follow it up. 
So um, this umbrella function, nobody's doing it today, automatically digitalized. I have one final question for you, and it's this. What is the status of STO Maker today? And by that, I mean, how close are you to achieving the goals you set yourselves when you first established this business in terms of getting customers, revenues, products ready? Um, today, we have the platform is ready to accept the first, uh, um, we call them pilot STOs. So if somebody today has an STO, we can help him really to go through that uh, through that process. Um, we also, since it's we are in the beginning, we're also there to help him uh, whenever he has questions or he needs advice and so on and so forth, so that we go through that. On the other side, we're talking to all the service providers, we're talking to lawyers, which will be also users from our platform. We talk, as we said before, to exchanges, we talk to brokers and mediators, so all these future clients and service providers are there. Uh, in parallel with that, because remember what we said before, um, we are the ones who have to invest in preparing the templates from the lawyers and so on. And as you also know, lawyers are not very cheap. So we need to pay all this. So we are also now, as a stomach in itself, as a startup, we are in the fundraising process so that we get our own investors so that we can further expand that. Evangelist Leonis, uh, co-founder of STO Maker, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to the members of Future of Finance. Dominic, thank you very much. 